0: Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Welcome everybody out today. Tim is not here. He is going to be doing a series on the life of Joseph. And he asked me to begin the series today without actually talking very much about the life of Joseph. He didn't tell me that. But what he wanted me to talk about is the importance or the significance of the stories in the Old Testament. And I thought that was a wonderful idea. I had I had already given some thought to talking about Joseph and what I might want to say because he was needing somebody to, to do this for him because he's out of town. And the stories are significant. The story of Joseph is just one of many stories in the Old Testament. And I personally love the stories. If anybody knows me, uh, I tend to get in a rut. I'll get a story that I get a lot out of, and I learn a lot from, and it impacts my life. And I'll stay there with that story and talk about it for a long time. Anybody that's in my small group remembers uh, me talking about Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles twenty way too much. Uh, but the stories, guys, are there for a reason. They're not there for accident. Um, stories to me, I learn by stories. I don't know how else to put that. When I'm reading a book, and it's a book, uh, usually it's a Christian book, or you may be a Christian psychologist or counselor, and they have their case studies. Those case studies are actual stories. They change the names to prevent, you know, to protect the people, but they they're actual stories of actual people. And when, when I'm reading a book and I get to a case study, an actual story, my attention span heightens. I, I, I can't explain it, but it does. And it's the same way with the Bible. When you, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of what's going on in people's lives, and you understand that those stories are there for a reason. And guys, that's what we want to talk about today. Now, I don't know about you, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, I'm guessing there's probably a story in the Old Testament that makes you scratch your head. They you go, What in the why is it there? Okay. We were we were talking in the back of the teachers and one of them brought up the story of when uh, uh I believe it was Elisha and Elijah were going along, and some kids yelled at one of them called them Baldy. Hey Baldy. And some bears came out of the woods and mauled those kids. Don't ask me to explain that and I'm not going to do it. I don't know what it's there for, but there's other stories that you look at and you go, What is this all about? There's a story, one of them I think of right in the in the uh, first chapter of Job, where God is meeting with says all the angels or the heavenly hosts, and Satan is there also. And God's talking to Satan, saying, Have you considered my servant Job? And he's like, uh, he, there's nobody like him on all the earth, He's a righteous, upright man, and, and and, and Satan says, yeah, but that's cause you protect him. That's cause you give him good things. You remove that hedge from around him and let me at him and he'll curse you. He'll curse the day he was born. And God says, okay, I'll let you do that. Just don't, don't just don't touch his body. Don't touch him physically. And as the story goes on, first, first lesson from that is, pray God doesn't brag about you to Satan, okay? <laughs> But you look at that. What's going on there? There's a similar kind of situation in Second Chronicles around chapter 17 or 18, and it involves my good friend Jehoshaphat and uh, his father, or his son's father-in-law, Ahab, and they're planning on going to war. And all the false prophets tell him, "Go to war; you'll be successful." And Jehoshaphat says, "Isn't there a prophet of the Lord that we can interpret? That we can inquire of?" And he goes, yeah, there's a good, there's, Ahab says, yes, there's one left, but he never says anything good about me. And so this, this prophet comes forward and he ends up telling them, he goes, yeah, I saw heaven opened up and I saw God gathered with the heavenly hosts, with the angels again. And he says, who will lead Ahab to his death? I want, I was ready for Ahab to die. Who's gonna, who's gonna make that happen? And they said, one spirit came forward and said this. Another said this. And finally, one came forward and said, I can do it. And God asked him how. And he says, by being a lying spirit in the voice of the prophets. Wow. That's kind of weird. And then my, my all-time favorite that you go scratch your head about is uh, when Balaam. You remember Balaam? Balaam is this guy. I'm not sure if he was good or bad. Okay, the Israelites are traveling to the promised land. And there's a nation that says, we're afraid of them. So they call Balaam to curse them. And he goes and God says, don't curse them. I don't want you to curse them. And he tells them, I can't curse them. And so then God tells him, go with these men. And so he's with these men and he's going. And on the way, he's riding a donkey. And the Bible tells us that there's an angel of the Lord with his sword drawn, ready to kill him. And the donkey sees the angel. And the donkey keeps going off the path around the angel till finally there's a place where the angel positions himself in like a a crevice where he, he can't go around. And Balaam is beating his donkey. And so the donkey starts talking to him and warning him saying, this is why I'm doing this and we're not going to die here. You look at those stories and you scratch your head. Well, first thing I want to tell you guys is I don't believe there's any story in the Bible that's insignificant. It's there for a reason. And what we want to talk about today is why those stories are in there. Now, before I go on, I want to I want to add something I I have to do. And I believe this is significant. I'm going to go on the assumption that you folks have some interest in the Bible and want to understand it more completely. And guys, I believe that all these stories we look at like the life of Joseph are a part of the one story of the Bible. And guys, when you understand that and you start to see that one story, these tend to make more sense and some of the details of these stories will fit together and you'll understand them a bit better or a whole lot better than what you will by themselves. You see, guys, the basic story of the Bible is this, and I'm going to be as brief as I can, and we'll be here all afternoon. But Bible tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And as I talked about this a few weeks ago, He's saying He created two spaces. God's space, man's space. If you want to think of it as two dimensions, two are two spheres and it's very clear that in the beginning God intended for there to be interaction some folks refer to that as an overlapping that the Garden of Eden was an overlapping of these two places where God came down and had fellowship with man he also intended for man to have a very specific task two things he tells him to do one is to reflect him we were made in his image we are to represent him to creation the other is they were to work the garden. Okay. And he tells them they can eat of anything except for this one tree. And we know the story. Man rebels and they, they eat the, the apple and the, oh, I'm sorry, the fruit. We don't know it's an apple. Okay. The fruit and there's consequences. Basically things change and there's a separation. The, the two spaces, heaven and earth, don't interact as much. Or nearly as easily as what they did and the rest of the Bible is the story of number one man's continued rebellion against God and our continued desire and activity of doing what we want instead of really representing God the way he wants us to and it's also the story of God Number one, trying to woo man back. Trying to say, listen, I'm, I want what was lost in the beginning to exist again. And you see these, these interactions going on. And then you also see big picture where God is not only trying to woo man, He's saying, I've got a plan to turn it all back the way it was. I've got a plan to restore our relationship. I have a plan to send a king, a Messiah. I have a plan for there to be a resurrection. And guys, that's the way, I've said it before, I believe the, the, the story of the Gospel, of Jesus, the good news of Jesus coming and Him dying and being resurrected is that all that was lost That God has begun to restore all that was lost in the fall. And guys, when you, when you look at it this way, it opens your eyes to so many things. But when you look at these stories, there's two passages that you have to look at. I believe these are exactly why these are here. Romans 15, 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. And these two passages tell us specifically how we should view these old stories. In Romans 15, this is what it says. It's for for everything that was written in the past. I'd tell you to underline everything, but you can't do it. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The second one is here in 1 Corinthians 10. It says these things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Guys, when you look at those passages, there's, there's four things that are going on with these stories. Number one, they're to teach us something. Number two is they are to encourage us. Number three is they are to give us hope. And number four is that they are to warn us. And we're going to be talking about each of these guys in a little bit different way, a little bit different wording here. But number one, the first thing I want to talk about is what does it teach us? Is it I learn how God works. Guys, most of us have an understanding of God that's probably more than a little bit off. I believe right now in, in Christianity in America, I'm sure it goes to other places of the world, what they call the uh, uh, health and wealth gospel, I believe is, is misguided. And where it's basically if you're following God and you're trusting God and you're having faith in Jesus, then you're going to have good health and wealth. And I don't see that promised anywhere in God's Word. But guys, it's important to know how he works. A lot of these preachers, that's how they had their following because that appeals to people. Does that not sound good to you? You follow Jesus and everything's going to go great. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, in this world, you'll have many troubles. So guys, it's significant. We need to know how God works. Have you ever wondered why things happen the way they do in your life? What's going on? Is it all just random? Or is there some purpose to it? And you see, guys, the one story I want to look at here that gives you just one example of how God works and how these stories can show us how God works is the story of Manasseh. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. And I want to tell you one thing real quick. If you go back to read any one of these stories, and I highly encourage you to do that, Expand the reading. You know, if, if, if the story is in one chapter or part of one chapter, read several chapters before and several chapters after. Get the background of what's going on. Understand it better. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, this is Manasseh. And this is what it has to say. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Now let me stop right there, real quick, and exp- just a little bit of background. He's talking about they had done more evil than the nations that God had, that the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. There were some nations, two in particular, one of them is the Amalekites that we're going to talk about in a minute, where God said, "I want them wiped off the face of the earth." their evil is so bad so widespread I don't even want you to let their animals live okay and now what he's saying is Manasseh led the people of Israel astray so that they were more evil than those nations that is one bad dude alright let's go on we jump down to verses 12 and 13 this is what it says, it says in his distress What happens is that another nation comes and overpowers, defeats Judah, and Manasseh is led away to this other nation with a hook through his nose. Okay, so when it says, in his distress, that's his distress. He's in another nation after being led there with a hook in his nose. And it says, In his distress he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Guys, when you look at that passage, you find something very significant about God. And it's namely that God loves to forgive. God is looking to welcome rebellious man back. And He does that. Why? Did he not destroy Manasseh earlier? If it was me, I would have. And you see many stories in the Bible where evil kings or unfaithful kings continued on in their reign. The first king, King Saul. He was a good guy in the beginning. He, he quit trusting God, started trusting himself, ran around trying to kill the next king that God had hand picked. He reigned for 40 years. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. I believe what you see, guys, is what it tells us in 2 Peter, that God's not slow in keeping His promises, but He wants everyone to come to repentance. See, guys, when you look at these stories, you learn about how God works. And what you learn is, that God's purposes are greater than my circumstances. And I encourage you, there's two other stories you can go look at on your own. I don't have time. One's in Ezekiel, uh, about his wife, the time when his wife passes. And the other is, is, is the book of Hosea, where God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute. And in both those situations, those, we have those stories because God needed a word picture. God was saying, your marriage... Your relationship with your wife is not as important as my purpose. And you go back and look at those. But you learn how God's work. The second thing, guys, is I see that God's Word can be trusted. I see that God's Word can be trusted. Back to 1 Corinthians 10, it says these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages... Has come. How many of you use that phrase, the culmination of the ages has come? Alan does over here, okay. But we've already caught him lying once today. Okay, we've caught him being wrong once today. I'm not going to call you bald though. Guys, there's something significant to this culmination of the ages. Okay? God has promised. I was I was talking earlier today. God's given us short-term promises and He's given long-term promises. Alright? The culmination of the ages is a long-term promise. There are promises God's made that most of us will probably not see in our lifetime. Perhaps all of us. The return of Jesus and Him coming back. The resurrection of the dead. We'll get to be there for that one, though, so I guess we will see it, won't we? We just won't still be... But we will be alive. Okay. Matter of semantics. But guys, what you see is you see short-term promises and you see long-term promises. You see short-term promises like in the life of Joseph. Yeah, I encourage you to read that. There's an assignment that's in your bulletin. I guess I should tell you about it now. But Tim has asked everybody to read the story of Joseph. In Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Now I personally encourage you to at least start in chapter 11. Alright? Because that will give you his entire family background. His his history. Chapter 11 starts with the Tower of Babel and ends with Abraham, the beginning of Abraham's life. And they carry on from there. Abraham is Joseph's great, great-grandfather. And uh, I encourage you there. But if you're going to start in chapter eleven, just go ahead and start in chapter one, okay? Just, just saying, just saying. But guys, when you read the story of Joseph, what you're going to find out one of the, and you probably most of you probably already know this: God makes a promise to him through a dream. And this promise is that He is going to rule over His family. He is going to be the leader of His family. They are going to specifically bow down before Him. And 22 years later, that takes place. 22 years. And one of my favorite verses or favorite lines from the story of joseph when his family is bowing before him and he goes then he remembered the dream you see guys because what's happening there is god's word is coming true and guys, it was a short-term deal. And when you read these stories in the, in the Old Testament, that's what you're going to see is what I refer to, I'm, I'm calling right now short-term promises. And you see God fulfilling what He said. And what does that mean to me? That means if He did what He said with these short-term stuff, I can trust Him to do what He says with the long-term stuff. That's why I believe Jesus is coming back. That's why I believe there will be a resurrection of the dead as well as a judgment, okay that's what's going on there, and you see guys to 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 to, to illustrate some of these promises and just what I'm talking about what he can be trusted i say I've got two passages here that I want to look at. you see, as I told you earlier. About the one story from the Bible, I said, you know, we rebel against, man man rebelled against God and God is trying to restore what was lost. And the big issue of what was lost is eternal life. You see in the beginning that God intended for man to not die. That was the consequence for eating the fruit. If you eat it, you will surely die. And and after they eat, He says, I can't let man live forever. We lost that. And that's why everyone in this room is terminal. Alright? Everyone in this room will die unless Jesus comes back first. And God is saying, I want to give eternal life back. That's what's going on here. And look at these two passages. You know, the first one is in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. And if you want to go back and read this, I suggest you start in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. But he's, he's, he's giving this covenant to the people of Israel. He's saying, I am present before you today life or death. This is what he says, He he kind of wrapping it up. He says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Does that sound familiar? It's worded a little different, but it's the same thing he set before Adam and Eve in the garden. You do what I say, you don't eat that fruit and you will live forever. You do eat that fruit, you rebel against me, you will die. And guys, it's the same offer he's making to the Israelites. Now the interesting thing about it, I read this passage for years, and I used to think, man, if you don't obey God, He's going to kill you. And I read through it, and there was a bunch of people that didn't obey God, and He didn't kill them. I believe what he's talking about, guys. Here is eternal life and eternal death. That is the choice that He placed before the Israelites. And believe it or not, that is the same choice that Jesus has placed before us. Has He not? Look at the next passage here. You may be familiar with it. If you watched a football game in the 70's. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal Life. You see, guys, long-term promise from God is eternal life or eternal death. It's our choice. But when I look at the stories of the Old Testament and I look at the way God fulfilled His promises, the way He told us that there was a Messiah coming, that there was a kingdom coming, and Jesus shows up. Those give me confidence to trust in the big promises of God. Third thing I want to talk about, third thing we learn in the stories of the Old Testament is I see God's perspective in my story. I'm guessing that right now there's some people in this room who are wondering why things are happening the way they are in their life. You may be looking at your past and going, why are these things going on? It may have to do with your relationships. It may have to do with your marriage. Uh, it may have to do with, with your job, with your finances, with your children. And you got to ask the question, What what is God up to? What is God trying to do in my life right now? What's he trying to achieve? What response does he want from me? And you may even go so far as to feel trapped, or dare I say enslaved, by your circumstances. And you feel like, hey, I can't get out of this. There's no changing this. Okay? I've talked to people who have felt that way in their marriage. You know, I know a man doesn't claim to be a believer. And recently, it was, it was two years ago, I was talking with him and he said he was going through a divorce and he already had him a girlfriend and he said, well, I'm not going to live forever. And what he's saying is, I wasn't going to live in that, in that, in that prison because life is short. And he felt trapped. And I don't know all the circumstances of it. Doesn't matter. But guys, you, we find ourselves in these positions in life and we want some, we need some perspective. I know I've been there. People used to say, I used to make the joke about being in the glass business. Uh, they said, you're still in the glass business? I go, yeah, it's like the mob. Once you get in, you can't get out. And, uh, if we go on to take, I said, yeah, I said, I'd love to find something else to do, but the kids seem to like to eat. You know, and they like living in a house. So I don't have the freedom to go do what I want. I was trapped. Okay? Hey guys, some of you, some, I believe people feel that way. We get to that point. And these test, these, these stories give us perspective. The most powerful verse about the story of Joseph for me is found in Psalms 105. And it's in verse, verse 19. And the verses prior to that, he's talking about that Joseph was led away in shackles and chains. There was a collar around his neck. His, His ankles were bruised. And then it's what it says in verse 19. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dream, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Now, I don't know about you, but Joseph is a guy where we find very, very little to point out as being wrong. And yet, God is telling us here that for 22 years, he was testing Joseph's character and proving it true. You see, I don't know about you, but I would have a very difficult time going through those 22 years. Especially the way I was as a young man. Enslaved and imprisoned for 13 years unjustly, wrongly. Separated from my family, my daddy thinking I'm dead. And putting up with the trauma of that. And I don't know all the circumstances that went on with Joseph and between him and God. But the truth of the matter is, we see here, it was during that time, God was proving His character true. You see, guys, all that time wasn't just for us to have a story. It was for God to work on Joseph. And guys, that's a perspective you may look at, and you look at your difficult times, and you go, I don't know about this. And 1 Peter 2, guys, is an incredible example of this where we're told this more and more, or told this in a, a much clearer way. is commendable before God. You see, guys, we tend to have the perspective about what's going on right now and we want out of what we're in. We want out of the difficulty, out of the the pain and the discomfort, and we want to get on with life because life is short. And we lose the perspective that God is trying to do something to me. He is trying to change me he is trying to transform me. And guys, that's what these stories do. they give you God's perspective. Uh, that last passage here in James chapter five, uh, I want to encourage you again, pointing back to the Old Testament and the story of Elijah, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he earnestly prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Guys, what I my whole point of having that verse there is the first part of that verse where it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Some translations say that he was a man just like us. See guys, when you look at all these stories, sometimes we think they were something special. They had a spiritual DNA that we don't have. you know. It's like God touched them and, and they were different and they were able to deal with all these things and float, float through them unscathed, which if you look close, you'll see otherwise. But you see, when you look at these stories and you see God's perspective on what's going on, that will give you perspective into your own story, into your own life. Last thing. About these stories is I learn the reason to have hope. I learn the reason to have hope. Look at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Guys, yeah, the first passage we looked at in Romans 15, it says, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they might provi- they provide, we might have hope. See guys, when you look at these stories, you see two things. You see God being faithful in an individual's life. You see how God works. In individual situations, you learn God's perspective and you also learn that God loves to deliver His people. And again, He looks to deliver them in the situation they're in. You'll see that in most of the stories. And He's promised to deliver us from a broken creation. He has promised to deliver us from a broken world and restore eternal life the way He intended. When you look at that passage there in 1 Peter 3.15 Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to come up with a paragraph of why you have hope? So that you can give the answer to somebody? like? It's commanding us to. We should always be ready to give an answer for the hope we have. And as I was preparing this lesson, I thought, I I don't have that paragraph ready. I I would be totally comfortable talking about my hope and and why I have that hope and and giving the reason for it. But I don't have a prepared statement. But one of the things I, I want to include in there now is because when I look at the stories of the Bible... I see God being faithful. I see hope fulfilled. And here's the hope he has promised me. That's why I gladly give up the things I want of this world because I believe eternal life is coming in the next. And this is a brief moment of time. Look at this passage here in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 19. So because of that experience we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Guys he says we have greater confidence in the message of the prophets. And he says you must pay close attention to it. Guys, the stories of the Old Testament, the prophecies that are contained in those stories, we are told to pay close attention to them. Guys, they give us real hope. And that's what Jesus wants us to have. So guys, I'm encouraged about this lesson series Tim's got coming up. Uh, he has asked me, as I already told you, to read Genesis 37 through 50. I've encouraged you to read the whole book. Um, but he's also asked you to write down your observations. Okay? And write down your questions. He's not going to have a Q&A while he's in here, but you can feel free. Uh, to ask those questions to any of the three of us or any anyone else that you think can help you with an answer. Uh, discuss those questions and write down your observations. Guys, we ask you to do that for your benefit. Write down, what is this all about? Why did this happen? I noticed this. And guys, I look forward to digging into the story of Joseph. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your stories. Father, I thank you that you haven't left us in a dark world without a light. That's what the prophecies are about, Father. That's what these stories do. They they open our eyes to you. How you work. What you're trying to do, what you've promised me, Father. Father, I want to pray right now that we can we can just have a commitment to, to look at these things. Father, it is exciting. For once in my life, it's exciting to look at your prophecies and exciting to think about Jesus coming back and living forever and definitely getting a new body. And Father, I thank You that You've given these and Father, I pray You lead us to understand them and to understand You more. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.